Hi, I'm Nancy Dufresne. Welcome to our podcast channel. We know you'll be blessed by today's message. This has been a delightful honor for me this year, especially when well, it always is, always has been. And it's, it's a great deal like coming home when I come here because there are so many outstanding memories of this place and things that I knew about it, this place before the first time I ever came. And um, tonight, correction, we talked about that. And I was reminded again this afternoon that in the book of Hebrews, just paraphrasing, God corrects his own. And if you're not willing to be corrected, you're an illegitimate child. That's tough talk. Well, Jesus said, when I leave, he was talking about, it's expedient for you that I go away. I will not leave you comfortless. If you look that up, it says, I will not leave you as orphans. Now, uncorruptible people become orphans. They won't listen to anybody else. So tonight, I want to point out some things in talking about perfection, we have to go back to where it started. The 17th chapter of Genesis, the blood covenant. Remember now, when we began, two extremely important things to remember. God is a spirit. And Jesus said, they that worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. And we're created in his likeness. We are spiritual beings first. We're not mental beings. We're spiritual beings. Spirit and soul and body to stay aware of that all the time. All of the things in the, the natural world, the color of one's skin doesn't mean a thing in the world. It's only skin deep. I was at, I was at Bill Winston's church and I, you know, I, uh, and I got up there and I said, you know, when Bill was a young boy, he wanted to fly. For a fact, for a while he thought he was Superman. <laughs> he wore a Superman shirt and he wouldn't take it off <laughs> anyway. And so he, and I was talking about the fact that what you think about most of the time, you will eventually become. Yes. And he wanted to fly and he wound up a fighter pilot in Vietnam. Highly decorated man. I said, I fly, he flies. And, uh, you know, skin colors only, that's only skin deep. The only difference is 
that he could reach over and pat me on the head and I don't care. I can reach over and pat him on the head. He hit me with a stick. <laughs> and and I, I, it, I thought the place was going to come undone. But anyway, it's in the covenants. The covenants make the difference. Yeah. Yeah. 2008, I went to uh, Nigeria and I met Bishop David Oyedipo for the first time. And he said, I had no trouble with the healing covenant. But he said, I was having trouble with prosperity. So he said, I locked myself away and fasted. And I read your book on the laws of prosperity, but I was, I was reading Mama Gloria's book on God's will for you. And I had a visitation of the Lord. He said, and he's, he's a very soft-spoken man, but he said, prosperity is a covenant. Someone said, are you preaching that, that American prosperity gospel? And he said, no, mm -hmm. Jesus was not born in America. Amen. <laughs> and he said, what you see here was the first phase $250 million American. No barred money. Just preach. The second phase is $250 million and it's in the bank. And I said, I believe it's time for the student to teach the preacher, the teacher. But he said, what you must understand is when I read, seek ye first the kingdom of God, yes. his righteousness and his way of being right, yes. and all these things will be added to you. That closes the book because it's backed by blood. He's an African man. Come on. He lives in a land where covenant is still cut. Means everything. And because of blood, you can have the answer and you, you meditate and you get into faith until it's the title deed and then you take it and then you just praise because it is coming to pass. Covenant means everything. So let's go back. Now we're into perfection. When Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am almighty God. I am El Shaddai. I am the God that's more than enough. El is God. Shaddai is actually referring to the nurse. 
and in some cases refers to a woman's breast because he is life and he is everything. There was a time in Gloria's life when Kelly was born and then when John was born that she was their nurse. She was everything to them. She was their life. She was their food. She was her very, they were uh, their very constant companion. She understood what they said. I couldn't. I'd say, what did he say? And she'd tell me what he said. I don't know where she's making it up or not, but anyway, she, no, she wasn't. She wouldn't do that. I am El Shaddai. I'm everything you could ever need. I am your life. And we're about to enter into a blood covenant here. So listen to what he said. I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name be any more called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. Is correct. Abraham. The H, as we already discussed, is the Jewish word Hashem, which means the name. <laughs> so he put his name in the middle. That was the name change. That was the first one on record. He changed his name. So they became one. And we get our tradition from that in a marriage where there is a name change and two people become one. That's where it all came from. Now, listen now. My covenant with the end shall be a father. Neither shall your name be Abram, but shame be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. Now the Lord had talked to me about this before, but then it got so big in me this afternoon. It, it just rose up on the inside of me. And I saw things in my own life and prayed some things in, in, in my case. One of my favorite autobiographies was written by a man by the name of Robert Scott. And uh, he was an outstanding fighter pilot in World War II and he wrote a book called God is my co-pilot. And then later they made a, a movie of it. This man was extremely important. He was a major. Early on, and, and I mean, uh, he'd been an outstanding student and then the war broke out and they needed him. He was a major. Now to just go up standard rank after a major, he would have become a Lieutenant Colonel, but they jumped him a grade. 
They made him a colonel because they needed him. God made him the father of many nations. And it wouldn't have made any difference if he'd have been already dead, raise him from the dead and make him the father of many nations. Because like God, who raises life, raises the dead and calls things that be not as though they were. Now, the Lord reminded me of this this afternoon. The Emperor Napoleon was reviewing the troops and he always rode a big stallion, most of the time an Andalusian, magnificent animal. But that horse bolted and this young soldier jumped out of the ranks and caught that horse by the reins and shut him down. He said, thank you, Captain. He said, sir, I'm but a private. He said, you are a captain and you will ride with me and review the troops. And then that man went on up in rank from there. He made him a captain. He made him a captain. Where do you need to go? And I began to pray and seek the things that I'm, that I'm not satisfied with in my own life. And uh, I, I won't take time to go into all that, but, but I, I realized some things that I was praying about and looking toward but I was approaching it really in the wrong way. So now I'm expecting to be made what I need to be. You shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. It doesn't say he'll set you free and people quote it like that and that's wrong. It's the same idea, but that's not what it says. It says, Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. So really what happened in my meditating on this and and going back to this to, to talk about perfection tonight, the Lord brought that up to me. I've been just kind of floating along, but it stirred me up. And now I'm stirred up about it and I don't tend to let go of it until that's what I'm made. And now it won't take a long time because I'm not standing out beside the wayside now, I'm over in the road. Praise God. You can just stand there and hitchhike spiritually, you're not ever gonna get anywhere. You just stand there with your thumb out and nothing's gonna happen. So, now, I will make thee exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of thee and kings shall come out of thee. I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. I want to mention this right here. This nation is not going to fall. It's gone through some rough stuff. 
but we don't have another civil war going yet. We get through that, we can make anything because this country has a covenant with God because of the first president and the first act of Congress. Thank you. There was no Washington DC. It was in New York city. They walked right down to the little chapel that survived 9-11. Stood in that chapel before God, the first act of Congress. Our first president, George Washington said, you will be our God and we'll be your people. And that is God's always for first words and first covenants and it holds until the end. Now then it's what we do with it that counts. And so many people in this country they don't know anything about covenant in the first place. Never, just rarely ever hear the word. And if you ask them what it is, they just kind of stutter and look at you. Too many of them are spirit filled Christians, but that's changing. You know why? Cause you and I are going to talk about it all the time. And since Jesus is coming this year, we're going to have to hurry. Amen. Amen. Well, I mean, it's all done, but the horn blowing. I mean, hey, come on. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. So now then, this is Walk before me and be thou perfect. Walk before me and be thou perfect. This is still strange to me. Oh, I thought you might like to see that. I carry this when she's not on the road with me. Anyway. This is still strange to me. Open your iPads. I mean. Now come on. You know good and well that my great, great, great grandchildren rummaging around and they're not going to come up and say, I found Papa's iPad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, they got whiz bangs, but then iPads don't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing's been dead so long, you couldn't revive it. Right. <laughs> anyway, yeah. but if they find my Bible yeah. with all my notes, my, all my Bibles, yeah with all my notes and scribbling around and, and this one's getting so lame. I, 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 I just, oh, I don't want to turn it loose. <laughs> but anyway, I don't know about that. So
Genesis 17, 1. All right. Walk before me and be thou perfect. All right. In the new living, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, and, and, and uh, the new living spells it out. I am El Shaddai, all my God almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. Now that's where we're going with perfection. Don't let the word perfect throw you. You'll never be perfect. But we can be faithful and live a blameless life. How do you live a blameless life? You stay in the word and remember, remember now what the word says. I watch over my word to perform it. So if you stay on his word, Abraham went and did. God said you need it. He, he went and did. Go there. He went and did. Do this. He went and did. He let his wife talk him into a mess. Didn't sound like he argued with her too much. <laughs> well, she was, she had to be one of the most beautiful women in history. And um, because men, even in her old age, after faith revived her, they, there was still wanting her in harems. So like Adam's wife, did you know she was gorgeous? Handmade by El Shaddai. <laughs> and she was just so gorgeous and beautiful and he loved her so I, I, I think he just couldn't walk away from her. Because he wasn't deceived, she was, he wasn't. But anyway, I watch over my word to perform it. I'm going to say it again. I watch over my word to perform it. In fact, let's just turn over there. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you and praise you. The words of Jeremiah, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, the 13th year of his reign. Verse four, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. I ordained thee a prophet unto nations. Now, how many of those you think there's been 
that never did get to see the day of light, the light of day. There is a new statistic out that the world's, the world now, number one. That is outright slaughter, murder. But it's, it's going back. It's, 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 it's going back to those dark days because we're bumping right up against the tribulation. And all this stuff is becoming (sighs) the Antichrist needs that. He needs that atmosphere. And we're right there. We have people getting vaccinations so they can fly on airplanes. And they have sold this coronavirus. A bad cold is a coronavirus. Every flu there is, is COVID. (laughs) How easy, how easy, how easy they are. The chips are already being used. We're there. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. We are there. And the old idea, when you read in the book of Revelation, when the two witnesses are seen all over the world, that's the easiest thing. And now, the whole thing is virtual reality. So you can live in this virtual atmosphere with your goggles on. You can be anybody you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. Wait till the porn guys get a hold of that, which they probably already have. You know they have. What has been the big rub on the two party platforms? What is the problem? I mean, what, what, what's the bad about Christians in the first place? If you're a Christian worth your own weight and salt, you make it hard to sin. That's it. That's the whole deal. I mean, we, we just dig our heels in the ground over abortion, just throw a wall out and fit. Well, Tom Slayton, are you here again tonight? I want to tell you what he said. He said, 
Tom Slayton is one of the finest men I've ever known. And he said, I wish that they would write Black Lives Matter in front of the abortion clinics. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. That's right. And for a black man to say that, I'm telling you, it stirred me up, brother. Come on. It really stirred me up. And that's the problem. It's a sin, don't sin problem. It always has been. I don't care what race you are. I don't care where you came from. It's a sin, don't sin problem. And there's nothing new about it. That was what was happening in the court of Pharaoh. Same God, same devil. (laughs) But things changed in Bethlehem. Once and the prophetic words that formed Jesus Avenue in here. The prophet Micah. Oh, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Seven hundred and fifteen years later, Bethlehem saw the birth of Jesus. Now those words controlled armies, controlled situation, controls politics. And those words, I'm convinced, caused somebody to want everybody taxed on a certain day at a certain time. So they had to get up and go to Bethlehem. And that's not easy on a pregnant woman on a donkey. That's right. No wonder there was no room in the inn. It's 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. A pregnant woman on a donkey for 90 miles. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me women are not stronger than men. The scripture says, treat them as a weaker vessel. Didn't say anything about women being weaker. But treat them precious. Take care of them. They're precious. There ain't anything weak about them. Glory to God. So he watches. I will, I wrote up here. I will watch over my word to perform it. But you have to read down to that. The Lord said unto me, say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee and whatsoever I command thee, you will speak. What's he doing? He's making this man a prophet. He changed him right there. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Now, if you want to know how, be, how to walk in correction, how to walk in, for, in, in correction and direction and perfection, that's the way you do it. You put his word in your mouth and he will perform it. Yeah. 
Because he swore he would. Jesus said, you will have what you say. You will have what you say. And a young man that I know, know very well, and, and he, he's all right. He's, he's, he's young spiritually. And, but he just came in and, and, and said to the man that he flies for, he said, I, I, I have to get another job. In fact, I've already talked to some people. Why? I just can't support the word of faith anymore. I can't support the word of faith anymore. I think it's all right to say whatever you want to say. Well, he's out in the woods now. He's not saying anything, or at least at that point, he wasn't saying anything that God could perform. But I know somebody else that will. Because the devil will take the leftovers. And what a friend of mine's grandmother said, "Mm mm-hmm, you let the devil in the back seat, ain't gonna be long, he gonna wanna drive. <laughs> That's just pretty well said, you know. I don't, I don't, I can't improve on that. <laughs> and that's just it. His whole thing is control. Control. He's a loser and he knows it, but he doesn't believe it. And about the time he thinks he's got everything working his way, and somebody just rises up and says, no, you don't. Well, not in this house. Not here, you don't. Not now, not ever. I'm not going to think like you want me to think. I'm not going to talk like you want me to talk. I'm not going to act like you want me to act. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. So get. Amen. I'm going to say it again. I have this day set thee over nations, over kingdoms, to root out, pull down, destroy, throw down, to build, and to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. And the Lord said unto me, thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. And you look that up. He said, well said, for I watch over my word to perform it in your mouth. I put my word in your mouth. You speak it and I will perform it. If you look carefully at all of the prophets of the first covenant, What was their job? They gave not only instructions to the people, they gave them things to say. 
If you obeyed the prophet and said what he said, you prospered. If you didn't, you didn't. You just had a little harder road to hold. Now, some of you city people don't know what that means. <laughs> you want me to tell you? Yeah. Well, I was working on my grandpa's farm and, <laughs> and I, was, I wasn't very old. But by this time, I was, I was 12, 13 years old. <laughs> so, uh, and there was, a, there was a, this young man, he was, he was older than me. He was, oh, I don't remember now. He's probably 20, 25 years old. And that old hard West Texas ground, but it, it had to be cared for because if you let particularly those stickers and stuff grow up in there, in that hard ground, it was sandy. And it, it, in, the, in the summertime, it'd get hard and hot and, and more any rain get on it and that stuff would just go wild and it'd get out of hand so bad that you, you, you didn't keep it all year long. When it came time to plant, you were in trouble if you got any water on it. Anyway, here we went. And you take a, all oh, people call them garden hose, but a hoe is a hoe. <laughs> and the thing is about that long. And you take a file and you cut it. I've seen my grandpa file them down till they wore them out. Now, you know what we did with, with the ones that were worn out? My grandmother had cut the handle off of them to where they were about that long and keep it inside the house. So when you had a sandstorm, you'd have something to rake the sand out of the windowsills. Nasty way to live. <laughs> Linoleum on the floor. You couldn't have carpets or anything. And then later on, the later years, uh, that farm was in Fieldton, Texas, which, which is a little ways from Littlefield, which is just a little ways from Lubbock. And so now you understand how it all came the progress and wound up in Lubbock. And I was born in Lubbock. We went to Abilene and then forth. So that's my history in a nutshell. Anyway, later, Instead of putting windows in brick houses, they put glass brick so light could come in the house, but not dirt. <clears throat> and if you've never lived in a West Texas uh, sandstorm, don't envy me. <laughs> Nasty way to live. Just sandblast your car, take all the paint off of it. You, you know, you're driving down the street and all of a sudden a sandstorm blows through and it starts raining. Your windshield wipers knocking mud balls off of the windshield. Ugly way, <laughs> ugly way to live. But anyway, <laughs> we were out there and we had our hole in our hands. You know, if, you, if you really know how to use this thing, you, you, you don't do this. You do that in a garden. But you just kind of swing the thing over the top of the ground. It's so sharp. Just cut those wigs off and you just kind of sling them out to the side. And then they can be, then particularly stuff that turns into tumbleweeds and stuff like that. And you just pile them up and burn them. 
Well, we're going down the row. And my grandfather's, we all started off at the same spot. And he's pulling away. And he got down to the end and he's coming back. And we're still going this way. And I never will forget it. The, 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 the guy that was with me, I mean, he was a little behind me. And he said, Hey, Kenel. I said, oh, he said, when do I old man fall down? <laughs> I said, that's the problem. He doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> I said, Papa, how do you do that? Well, he said, it's easy. You got a job to do, so set your jaw and get it done. Set your jaw. And he did. But on his farm, his rose looked like somebody did it with a GPS. Straight as a string. He set his jaw. He always had good crops. The county agent would come by and talk to Mr. Owens, and then he'd go by and talk to the other farmers and tell them what he thought, but he got what he thought from Mr. Owens. <laughs> Amen. And when they, uh, and my mother's oldest brother, who was killed in World War II, uh, he, he moved to New Mexico and they were, uh, they were actually, he was planning on becoming, running for governor in New Mexico. Graduate of Texas Tech and uh, uh, my Uncle Pete went to Texas Tech to play football and Uncle Bud went to Texas Tech to get an education. <laughs> so, and I don't know, I, I think about things like this. My mother's oldest brother was Alton L. Owens. Her youngest brother was Floyd Russell Owens. Alton Owens nicknamed everybody. <laughs> and he called his younger brother P. T. Edelman Boy Blue because he wouldn't wear anything but blue overalls. And he was Pete Owens for the rest of his life. His name wasn't Pete anymore than mine is. But he called him P. T. Edelman Boy Blue, <laughs> and, and it stuck. And there was another guy there, good friend of theirs, good friend of my dad's, tall, skinny guy. And so Uncle Bud called him Turkey Neck Shepherd. <laughs> and he was Turk Shepherd all of his life. And, and at his home going, I said, Dad, do you have any idea what Turk Shepherd's real name is? He said, I don't have a clue. <laughs> but anyway, and then they all called him, the, the, young, the younger ones, my mother was the oldest, but Pete was, when he was young, he called his older brother Buddy. So he was Bud Owens. Anyway, that's the Owens family. But I wanted you to tell you, I want to tell you that about my granddad because he, he left home really, really young. His, 
his dad, R.P. Owens. And uh, came from, they came from Cumberland Valley of Tennessee, Cherokee people. And um, hard. And a Yankee officer had R.P. by the thumbs and hung him up trying to get him to tell where his brothers were and he wouldn't do it. And, and they, at that time, uh, these were not godly people. And, um, and he'd just scream and just cuss him just loud as he could. And he got the nickname Cussing Owens. <laughs> and I carried on the tradition. <laughs> Gloria said, I'm not going out in public with you anymore. I said, why? You're, it's your mouth. I said, well, you know, what the, did I say? <laughs> Second day of November, 1962, a little around eight o'clock in the evening, I had just flown uh, an executive with the Arkansas, Louisiana Gas Company from Little Rock, Shreveport and back by the name of Weir. I got back and uh, got back to the, to the apartment and Gloria was at the stove. And I walked in, took my suit off and, and uh, changed clothes, came back in from the bedroom into the kitchen, one shoe already on and I was putting the other shoe on and all of a sudden the room just filled up with the glory of God. And I heard it in my spirit, Kenneth, if you don't get right with me, you're headed to a devil's hell, son. And I said, I know it, but what do I do now? And down inside me, I heard this, boys, you have to ask Jesus to come into your heart. That was my Sunday school teacher when I was in the sixth grade. And those of you from Southern Baptist background understand that Sunday school is so much like real school, you didn't even want to go. <laughs> and so they just, every year you graduated, just, you know, and then, but us boys, let them know, let the Sunday school superintendent know if Ms. Taggart is not our teacher, we're just not coming back. She's a little short woman, about so high, and she is a widow woman, and she wore black all the time, and she wore a little black straw hat with a little artificial flower in it. And we called her Old Lady Taggart. She called herself Old Lady Taggart. To this day, I don't know what her name is, but she won me to the Lord. I heard her, I heard her, and in my mind, I thought, that's Old Lady Taggart. <laughs> And I heard her voice. She said, boys, you have to ask Jesus to come into your heart. I thought, well, that sounds just as dumb as it did the first time I heard it, but I don't know what else to do. And I just, just kind of whispered it myself because Gloria's over at the stove. And the situation between us, I had a Southern Baptist background and she was raised in a church. She didn't go much, but they were pretty famous for believing nothing. And so, and so we just didn't talk about it. 
Now, my grandmother, staunch Southern Baptist, and she thought Jesus was a Southern Baptist. Quite sure that John the Baptist was. Now, you know. In fact, I had one Baptist preacher that was witnessing to glory in me. Now, you know, we can trace our lineage all the way back to John the Baptist. And I didn't say it to him at the time, but I said, well, I thought, well, I traced mine all the way back to Jesus. So, cause I was already born again when he, anyway, I won't go into all that. But I was, yeah, I'm glad I went into that. But I just said, come into my heart. And he did. I've never been able to explain it. It's like if you were born and raised in a boiler room and suddenly they shut that thing off. The silence would be the loudest thing you ever heard. And the silence in my inside was huge. I mean huge because I was in a very bad place spiritually when I met Gloria. I don't even like to think about it. It is dangerously bad. But from that day on, it was like a, a square block in my mouth. And for several seconds, I couldn't shut my mouth. And one of my friends heard me tell that one time. He said, well, it's probably about the same size as that big dial soap bar your mama used to stick in your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, from that day forward, it was gone forever. So I said that Then I thought, what am I going to tell Gloria? Because we talked about it. Her grandmother was of this group over here. My grandmother was this group over here. And they ain't never going to get along with one another. (laughs) But then I found out a little something more about her grandmother. Because I was at a funeral in their church in that little town in Arkansas, Southwest Arkansas. And the pastor told me, he said, now, Brother Copeland, he said, you don't know what it's like with with, uh, Mrs. Niece sitting on the front row. He said, I have to be so careful what I read in the Bible. He said, she'll stop me and correct me in the middle of my message. And then later she came to me and Gloria and she had James five in her Bible. You believe that? I said, well, of course, mom, I believe that. That's what it says. You believe the elders of the church anoint with oil, the prayer of faith, save the sick. I said, yeah. She said, well, ain't no use to call our elders. They don't believe anything. (laughs) That's where I got that phrase. I shouldn't be saying that. That's not me. <laughs> but she said, our elders don't believe anything. 
She said, are you an elder? I said, I am. If you believe I am. She said, I believe you are. Anoint me with oil. My back is terrible shape. So I anointed her with oil and Gloria and I laid hands on her and her back got healed. I mean, just like that. She said, well, now that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. She came to heard me preach one time. She said, Kenneth, you didn't mention water baptism, not a time you preached. I said, mom, everybody in there had been baptized. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she and I got along real good. And uh, anyway, so I didn't know what I was going to say to her. And so, like I said, she was fixing supper. I said, Gloria, uh, <coughs> um, what would you think um, <coughs> if, um, well, you know, uh, she said, what? And I said, what would you think if I were to, you know, give my testimony for God or something? She said later, she thought, what testimony? <laughs> <laughs> like I said, we were scriptural illiterates. We didn't know anything about the Bible. And uh, I said, but, and then, but she, and when I said that, and I said, and talk for God, she said, hallelujah. I said, what? She had gotten saved two weeks before. I, we'd got, we got into a business deal that was not the will of God, but I didn't know it at the time. And so, and, and it, was a, it was a powerful product. And I was invited into that. Well, I got out and sold a bunch of it. And then the, the product didn't come in. Well, here we wound up in a house with no furniture, a rented rollaway bed. We, and we bought that house on a lease purchase because I had already sold enough of that stuff to, to not only have moved into the house well, but put a big down payment on it. And the product never did come in. So, I'm out. Now I quit a good flying job to get it. Then I had to go out and hunt another job. I expect my boss would have let me back, but I was so embarrassed because I hurt his feelings when I quit. And uh, I found this other job. Well, and she got out. I was out hunting a job and there she was in that three bedroom house with no furniture except that rented roll away bed and a coffee table that I made in metal shop in high school. <laughs> now she makes fun of my coffee table, but that's a pretty good looking table. <laughs> I worked hard at that, a glass top and, and a glass shelf underneath. And one Bible that my mother had sent, among others. <laughs> and a Panasonic portable television set that would work on batteries or you could plug it in and the screen had gone down to about two inches tall across the middle. And we were watching Bellabrilly Hillbillies two inches tall. And so she was sitting there watching all that and mother, and you know, we didn't tell her, our, our, one of our parents anything about this. 
And, and, but my mother, she just sent us a 25 pound bag of potatoes just because, well, the Lord led her to do it, but she didn't know it was. Oh, glory to God. You know what a drip later is? You kids don't, but it's a coffee pot that you can boil water in. And it's, then up on the top of that is another thing that you put the coffee in and stuff that down in there. And when the water boils, it shoots up like this and comes back down and make coffee. Make good coffee. And we didn't have any coffee, but we had those potatoes. We had boiled potatoes. We had sliced potatoes. We, had, we did have We did have electricity. And so she'd stick them in the oven and bake them. Potatoes for everything. And so while I was out hunting a job, she sat right there, picked up that Bible. Ken Precious, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Gloria said, well, I sure do need things. She'd never heard of the new birth. All she said was, and so she began to read and she read all of that. And then she began to read more. And she said, well, I'm to Jesus. I'm worth more than, than the sparrows and to the father. And so she just said, Lord, take my life and do something with it. And he did. Well, I didn't know she'd done that. I found out later, my mother had been praying for me years. She prayed a lot of stuff off of me and, and I know good well it saved my life more than once. And um, anyway, She didn't realize it at the time, but she acted on 1 Peter 5. She cast her care over me and then over Gloria, over on the Lord. But she just simply said she was in the kitchen. She threw her Bible down on the table and looked up and said, if he goes to hell, it's your fault, not mine. <laughs> she said later, if I'd have known I could have done that, I would have done that 10 years before, but I, I didn't know it. Gloria got saved in a week and I got saved in two. Gloria got saved in October and I got saved in November. She just said, take my life and do something with it. So what happened? God made her a new creature. Yes. She'd never heard of that. She'd never heard of the term born again. She'd never heard of the term saved. Because in the church where she was raised, those term, that terminology is not used. And you go through life 
And then, well, Leroy's back. <laughs> you go through life and you do the best you can. And, and then, now there are people there that are born again, but not because of, of a teaching or training in that, in that direction. And uh, there's, there are many people there that, I, that I've talked to that one man had pastored for something like 20 years and realized he wasn't saved. Preaching all those years. Man, I mean, love God. But he realized he wasn't saved. He just got out of school and then went to college and just did what they all did and said. But he had never accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. He said it absolutely turned his life completely around. And then, then he got involved with the Holy Spirit. And of course, he got removed from that denomination. Now, then I got that new job. Gloria got out and found a new furnished apartment that had never been lived in. The Lord is moving. That was in November. Then in January, we went to a meeting over in East Texas. And a man by the name of Dr. William Standish Reed. And he was just a giant in full gospel businessmen circles and so forth. And, and, um, and I, he was, he was just a wonderful man. And I had, I had met him back there then and so forth. And anyway, knew my, my mother and dad knew him very well. So he was holding a meeting the, and he was a, he was a, a surgeon. He was in the Episcopalian church and he was operating on a child and that child died. And he said, Oh my God, I can't tell this mother. I can't tell her that God help me. And that little baby came back and it changed his life forever. Powerful man of God. So he was having a meeting in the Christian Medical Foundation. Mother and dad went. We were invited. So we took off a weekend. And I flew a little single engine Piper airplane over there. January, because that other was in October, November. And uh, cold and pretty. We went over that, that meeting. Well, and they gave an invitation for anybody that wanted to come up and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'd heard of it because I had a great aunt that ruined the family. <laughs> oh, she's a darling though, I tell you. I mean, she was, she was really just a glorious woman. Anyway. They gave that invitation. My mother and dad were sitting right behind us. I said, I turned around. I said, is that something we ought to have? They said, you ought to have that. I just grabbed Gloria by the hand and ran. And the thought I was having, 
I like to went to hell. I'm not turning down any kind of an invitation. If they, if they want us to get up there and call hogs, I'll do it. <laughs> I mean, I just, I'm ready. And it was the old Pentecostal way. Now, where does this have anything to do with perfection? That's what I'm talking about. And the women were praying for Gloria and the men were praying for me. No instructions. I didn't have a clue what they wanted me to do. I mean, really, I'm serious. And they're all praying this at the top of their voice, you know, hold on brother, let go. Let go and let God. What does that mean? Well, they gave up on me. And the women were still praying for glory. They weren't making near as much noise as, as the men were. So, and I mean, you know, no, we're not very far apart. We're about as far as from, from here to Pastor Nancy. And so the man just gave up on me and, and sat down. But Dr. Reed was still with me and had a booming voice. <laughs> and, um, and he's always smiling, always laughing. Odd. Another good friend that I flew with named Emmett Ferguson. And um, Emmett had been a crop duster and he got tired of the old crop dusters and he came in the office one day there and he said, you're in sales, right? And I said, yeah. He said, I just get out here and struck for $5 an hour and you sell an airplane and make $500. I, I, I want to know how to sell. I said, well, for one thing, Emmett, you don't know how to shake hands. We got to start at the beginning. <laughs> and he went ahead, he sold, some, he sold so many crop dusters and traded for so many old ones that the ramp was full of them. And the boss called him in and said, don't sell anymore to get rid of this old junk. <laughs> he finally wound up selling jets. But anyway, Emmett and I flew a twin engine Cessna over to Henderson, Texas where Dr. and Kay Reed lived. And so, and he wanted to look at that airplane and he eventually bought it. But anyway, we flew it over there for him to see it. And uh, he came out to the hangar and looked at it, liked it. And we were about to leave. So he said, come on. Well, he said, come on. I don't know where we're going. But he just said, come on. And he put his arm around me and he put his arm around him. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and the, there were a couple of mechanics in there and they stopped and bowed their heads while he prayed. <laughs> Help these boys in the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Yes, you boys have a wonderful trip. We got in the airplane. Well, I flew over there and, and so in it, flying back. It was quiet in that airplane. We climbed up, we headed back to Little Rock, climbed up about 7,000, 7,500 feet to, to uh, go back over there. I didn't say anything. And it finally turned around and looked at me and he said, well, I'll tell you one thing we've been prayed for. <laughs> he wound up accepting the Lord, got in the jet business, and some years later, he died of cancer, a man of God. We were standing there. 
I thought, well, I'm just going to go sit down. He said, let's go pray for Gloria. Okay. So we walked over there and there, her back was to me and there wasn't, the women were in front of her. So we walked over there. And so I'm just standing there. He said, lay your hands on her. No. <laughs> Can you imagine that? He said, lay your hands on her. I said, no. <laughs> he said, lay your hands on her. And, I, <laughs> and when my hand hit her back, oh, oh, oh Lord, oh God. Oh Lord. And they had made a little makeshift platform there. And it was about as high as this, almost as high as that second step there, about like that. And I just stepped up there and sat down on one of those chairs. Oh God. And he just walked by me and touched me right there and said, no more English. Well, But it came time for me to fly home. She stayed and received the next day. And that next day was when she heard the term born again. And she realized that that's what happened to her. Take my life and do something with it. So I got back in the airplane. No small airplanes, no autopilot. I'm just hand flying. January, gorgeous, beautiful night, cold. In cold air, an airplane just flies like, it's just wonderful. And uh, I was enjoying the airplane, the airplane's enjoying the air. So, and I just sat there. Now you can tell I didn't have any Pentecostal background. First place, I wasn't a friend. <laughs> it's a gift. I didn't know either way. I said, and I was talking out loud. I sat there and I just had my hand laying up on the yoke. The air was just smooth. I said, Lord, I don't know what I know about what just happened to me, but I'm going to say some more of those words. And if there's anything to it, well, you go ahead and anoint it. I don't know where I heard the word anointing. I guess I heard it in that meeting somewhere. So I just tried to remember something I'd said and said it again. Oh, I'm telling you, it just poured out of me. And I thought, what? You know, you can talk in tongues and think at the same time. And I thought, what in the world am I going to do? I'm getting closer to Little Rock and I'm going to have to call somebody. Uh, I'm thinking this and I'm thinking that. And it's just rolling out of me. I am being perfected, but I didn't know it. <laughs> there was a faithfulness that came into me that I never had before. 
And I thought, well, here goes. You either have to do something with my mouth or their ears, because I'm about to, I got to call these people. I had to call ATC, you know, and I said, uh, Little Rock Approach Control, and I thought, hey, that came out good. <laughs> and got on the ground and got out of that airplane. I blessed that airplane. I blessed the hangar. I blessed the concrete. I blessed everything I could find, everything I could see. I talked in tongues at everything I could think about. I talked in tongues. I called, I th I'd talk in tongues to the, I mean, anything. <laughs> Just talk in tongues to it. I didn't have any teaching. Thank God. Because I didn't know you couldn't do that. <laughs> I didn't know the apostle Paul said, I will speak with my understanding. I will speak with my spirit. I will sing with my understanding and I will sing with my spirit as an act of his will. And he said, I, I, I pray in tongues more than all of you. Amplified says more than all of you put together. Hallelujah. So now, faithful and blameless. First John 1, 5, he is faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful to do what? Well, look over there and see. You know it, but put, put your eyes on it. Oh, I tell you, I love the gospel of John, but man, I, I, I started, the Lord led me to start reading little John and, and just read it every day. I mean, it's not but five chapters. Just read it every day. It, it, it'll just, it'll get on you. It'll get in, in you. Oh, my goodness. And it just starts off and you, you can, you, this will save your life. This then is the message which we've heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. I wrote in the margin of my Bible, God is light, God is life, God is love. In him is no darkness, in him is no death, and in him is no hate. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is huge failure on those scriptures. It's huge. That is a blood backed, exceeding great and precious promise. And if you believe it, it'll work. If you go by your feelings, it won't. I was in a meeting down in South Florida one time. I was down there three weeks and they were receiving offerings from me every night. Now, I should have had a clue, but I knew the pastor very well. I heard him praying and he said, oh, God, help us because we are in such dire need of finances. Now, if, if, if he had just come to me and told me, I'd have said, hey, let's get in this together. But he didn't. Well, he wasn't receiving the offerings. 
another man in the church was. This is Brother Copeland's office offering. This is Brother Copeland's offering. Well, anyway, there was a lot of pressure on me. And uh, I got mad. And I'm walking around in that room and I, I oh man, I, I just, I just really got irritated. They made a big deal of offering me the, the, a check after three weeks. for $200. I went in the hole. But anyway, I got mad and, and then, I, then I, I, and I calmed down, but I said, Lord, I'm not going over and preach tonight I, after this. He said, after what? I said, after what I did and said. He said, what are you talking about? I said, what do you mean, what am I talking about? He said, didn't you confess that sin before me? I said, yes, I did. He said, Kenneth, when you confess that is not when I found out about it. Wow. Well, that came as a great revelation to me. <laughs> we have informed God very little with all of our praying, but it is our covenant relationship with him where he said, ask, you shall receive, knock, it shall be open Amen. unto you. Amen. Huh? Amen. Seek and you'll find. The word seek there actually means research. Research God. He already knows, but we need to find out. He said, then after he said that, he said, you need to understand that the moment you confessed that, I cleansed you of unrighteousness. Now you won't mess around here and ruin that because that part you didn't believe. Oh, but he's faithful. Then I learned. I learned the truth of it. Jesus said, when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against any. You're not going to stand there two weeks. He said, when you stand praying, forgive. That'll work, won't it, Grant? I mean, you, you, when you stand praying, forgive. It's not an act of feeling. Judgment. Now, there is coming a time when judgment will take place. But I've already talked to you about that, but let me say it to you like this. Judgment is a function of seed time and harvest. Yes, it is. Amen. 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 So that you, you don't walk in judgment. Turn with me to Luke chapter six. Luke 
We know what Luke 6, 38, give and it'll be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom for with the same measure you measure with all it shall be measured unto you again. Well, now wait a minute. There's 37 verses before it. This was a whole sermon. He had just named his 12. This is huge. If you just back up a little bit, bless them that curse you, pray for them which despitefully use you. And you come on down, come on down here. Love your enemies do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, for your reward shall be great and you shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to, and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be for, condemned. Forgive and you shall be forgiven. Give and it'll be given unto you. Amen. Judge not. If I, and, and I, this is what I've learned over the years. A lot of it from Brother Hagin. A lot of it from Oral Roberts. A lot of it from the scripture. A lot of it from personal experience. That's a huge sin in the church. Yeah. Judge not that you be not judged. If you study the scriptures, you'll find out if you judge somebody, you have set the bar and you will be tried at that level and you don't even realize it's coming because you didn't realize you did it in the first place. For instance, Well, now you know how I love pastor. Here it comes. That's like the country singer said, don't give me none of that degree stuff. Tell me left or right. Well, don't give me that, that how much I love pastor either before you cut him down. Now, I'll just tell you one thing, buddy, buddy. <laughs> if I'd have been him, I wouldn't have done that. Well, you dumb, dumb, if you'd have been him, that's what you'd have done. That may be the answer to the, the question, how dumb can you get? That's right. yes, sir. If you were him, that's what you'd have done. That's right. But you do not know the circumstances. You do not know the situation. That's you right. do not know what led up to that. You do not know what decisions were made. You're not running that church. 
You don't know what the pastor, what the Lord told the pastor to do or to say. You don't know what the pastor's wife and the pastor prayed and came to a conclusion that this was right. Now, if you don't like anything he says, get out of there. I told you, I think I told you a little bit about this, but anyway, I'm going to tell you again. Wayne Cochran, old CC rider. And Wayne, <laughs> Wayne had never been to church. And he told me, he said, he said, Kendall, I, 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 he said, I stole the Bible. He said, I'm ashamed of it. I stole the Bible in my hotel room and got saved on it. I said, Wayne, was it a Gideon Bible? Yeah, that is the name of it. I said, Wayne, they put those in there for you to have. Really? Can I keep it? I said, I think I would. Now he started pastoring and he ran into this. There was a man in his church that didn't like anything he said, didn't want to do anything he wanted to do. He was crossways of everything he said. So he called him in. He said, the problem is you're in the wrong sheepfold. And here was his explanation. He said, you're like a plumber in a roofing church and you keep trying to put the toilet on top of the house and it doesn't work. Well, now, you know, Wayne's just an old rock and roller. I mean, that's the way it come across. So he said, I know a pastor in this town that just, he thinks the same way you do. Because after he talked to him for a while, he found out what he didn't like. He said, would it be all right with you if we have a meeting together? And he called the other pastor. They got together. And they liked each one there, each one another. He moved over there in that other church and, and now everybody's happy and he's happy and both pastors are happy, but he's no longer judging that pastor. Now his life was miserable because he was sitting in judgment over another man and particularly a man of God. Well, you know, I just don't, now, you know, I, I just love pastor, but I, I just don't think he should have done that. Well, go talk to him. Not cousin Fred and Minnie Bell and Sister Bucket Mouth. Because you tell her and it's going to be all over the church. And by the time it gets to the end and finally gets somebody, they're going to have the pastor in bed with another woman by the time it gets around. Now I'll close with this. Sarah judged him faithful. the exceeding great and precious promises. In Fort Worth, Texas, Oral Roberts was preaching. And this was before, before we moved there. But now Farrington Field is the high school football stadium. 
and it for the whole city of Fort Worth. And, and there are colleges that don't have that good of a ballpark. I played football in that park. It's, it's large. And so Brother Roberts had set the tent up inside Farrington Field you know, on the f- football part of it. And they had such a, that they, they had so, so many crowds that they couldn't close the meeting. So he called Evelyn and said, I can't close this meeting. She said, Oral Roberts, now my baby's about to be born and you are going to be here when this baby's born. He said, you tell God to hold him up. Well, he did back then. You didn't know whether it was a boy or a girl, but it turned out to be Richard. <laughs> anyway, you tell God to hold it up because we can't shut this thing down. It's just too good. The tent won't hold everybody. And they just went on and on and on. And sure enough, Evelyn waited. (laughs) Richard was born right after Earl got home. While that was going on, the leading Baptist pastor in Fort Worth had been there for years. The church downtown Fort Worth was a city block, big church. He got on the radio. He said, that's the devil out there in that tent. Don't you be going out there. Well, when he got on there and said that, everybody went. And he got another preacher there in town, a smaller Baptist church, but it was the second largest Baptist church in Fort Worth. And so he, they bought extra time and, and the other Baptist preacher got on it. Now, what I'm telling you is just a matter of fact. I mean, you can, you can look it up, check it out yourself. Sometime after that, pastor of the, the big church, the one that was doing the most, he would, he would go out. Now, don't you misunderstand me. There's no way in the world that man went to hell, but he was deceived. He'd been taught wrong. He would put on his robe uh, as a real, not what they call a smoking jacket, but really, you know, nice, but not to wear, and when slippers all the way around that church, they'd have to come out and get him, take him in the next day. All he judged a man of God. The other man was caught in the bed with his secretary. It ruined his church. His church just dwindled down to nothing. And an independent Pentecostal church bought his church for a parking lot. And the pastor of that independent church was my pastor. He baptized glory in me and our children. Glory to God. 
I don't expect that man would tell that his life sure didn't turn out right. Because they preach the new birth all the time. Now, I don't know anything about the other one, but I, I know about that other man. And I know personally both the men that took his place in that church. They love God. But they didn't know anything about spiritual law. And a long life worth living wound up in shambles because of judging another man's ministry that they didn't know anything about. That's the most dangerous thing against correction, direction, protection. He lost his protection. <clears throat> Praise, God. Praise God. So, like my good friend, Bob DeWeese, Oh man, I miss him. <laughs> he had a heart attack on the handball court. And uh, I mean, terrible. And like to die. In fact, now when, it, when it happened, they called, you know, and we were all praying. And, and then later we were in Tulsa at a meeting there and so Bob and Charlotte, the two of them were telling Gloria and me about his experience. He said, Kenneth, he said, suddenly, now he'd always been an, an athlete all of his life. And even at his age, man, he played handball. He was hard to beat. Well, it happened while he's on the handball court. Anyway, took him into the city of faith. And they're using, you know, praying over him just as loud as they could. <laughs> he said, Kenneth, all of a sudden, I was in the most beautiful place I had ever seen in my life. He said it was a small pathway, but he said it was he said it, it wasn't, wasn't dirt, it was, but he said it was just, just wonderful. And he said, there was a fence going down each side of the road and I walked over and as close as I could tell, it was hand carved mahogany. It was the most gorgeous thing I had ever seen in my life. And he said, I'm looking around and I wonder, where am I? All of a sudden he said, I saw the lights of the city and he said, I'm, I'm home. That's where I am. And he said, Kenneth, I started running. He said, see, he didn't know he didn't have a body. He said, I started running and he said, power was surging through my legs. He said, it, it was just wonderful. He said, I've never felt such power in my life. And all of a sudden I began to bog down and then all of a sudden I, I was back. They were using the paddles on him. Charlotte said, would you like for me to tell you what he said? Did he say, Charlotte, thank you for saving my life? <laughs> no. 
She said he came around and he said, Charlotte, what'd you do that for? <laughs> so don't ever feel sorry for anybody. I noticed in Jesse Duplantis' testimony when he had, he spent time in heaven and he said this publicly so I, I can say this. He said, I, I, I never did tell this part until this latest time. And I, then I, I had heard it. That's the first, I heard his tape of that. That's the first time I ever heard Jesse Duplantis. But then he went through it again. So Gloria and I got the DVDs of it and went through the whole thing. And listen to what he said. He said, I recognized President Kennedy. He said he had a white robe, which meant he had no rewards. But he was there. He was there. Well, then I began to pray about it. And it's very obvious what happened. World War II. He was captain of a uh, uh, torpedo boat, patrol boat, PT boat. Fast little plywood boat with, with dual engines in it and throw torpedoes out the side of that thing. But it was a night mission and he got, he, he and his crew, that whole boat got run over by a Japanese cruiser and just chopped that boat to pieces. But they all survived and he watched over, that's when his back was injured so badly. He watched over them and took care of them. And the Lord pointed out to me that that's at least one time that he cried out to God and that there were other times that he cried out to God. He was there. He was there. And there's some other Baptist preachers and so forth. There's a strong chance that William Bonney, Billy the Kid is there because of Mr. Tungsten. He got Billy to reading the Bible and he fell in love with the Bible. And then someone ambushed Mr. Tungsten and killed him. And he just, he went on a, on a vengeance over it. Heaven's an amazing place. One time I heard about somebody that went and I said, Oh Lord. I said, and I thought, well, maybe I better not say what I'm thinking, (laughs) but the Lord knew what I was thinking. He said, Kenneth, I'm not trying to keep people out of here. I'm trying to get them in. And if they will give me anything to work with, I'll take them. But then I realized that's what Jesus paid for. That's what the mercy of God is all about. Yes. Judas would have been there if he hadn't killed himself in the middle of all of that. Because Jesus did everything he could. He kept calling him friend, covenant friend. That's right. That's right. You're no longer my servant, but my friend. That's right. Yeah. But he killed himself. Yeah. 
Well, I've talked long enough. Father, in the name of Jesus, shall we just stand and just praise and worship for a few moments? Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's meetings like this that, uh, that I don't, uh, I don't like to close. <laughs> David, would you hold That it's, the flow is so precious. And uh, there was one man that Brother Hagin told about and this, and it, this actually happened. This man had gone to, to a country church to preach and he, he was staying with an elderly man that was one of the lead deacons in the church, but he was an elderly man. And so he stayed with him, stayed in the home with him. And he came back that night and he, and he had waited up for him. So they talked about the meeting a little bit. And he said he was just getting tired. He, just, he, he wanted to go to bed, but the old gentleman said, well, let's remain. So he thought, well, okay. So he started talking again. And in a little while he'd say, well, son, let's remain. And so he just kept trying to, he's about to go to sleep. And finally he said, well, sir, I think we ought to retire. He said, retire, that's the word I was trying to think of. <laughs> so I know you'd like to retire and I'd like to remain. So. <laughs> <laughs> Lord Jesus, Son of the living God, I pray the blessing of the Lord on this congregation. I pray the blessing of the Lord on the leadership of this church. I pray the blessing of the Lord on all that have come in to visit for these meetings and all that have been watching us online. As God's representative, I'm authorized to tell you, be blessed. Be blessed. God always needs a receiver. You can't bless somebody that won't receive it. One of the hardest things is to try to bless somebody and they say, oh no, I couldn't take that. Gloria's grandfather, one of the sweetest men I have ever known, but you couldn't give him anything. He'd give you everything he had. Now he wore a watch that, and he, was a, he had that farm over there in Southwest Arkansas and he's in the peach business for years. And if you've ever seen a glow brand peach, it was named after Gloria. Anyway, and he had a peach orchard and all that while well, he'd finally retired from all that. And he wore a watch that the band on the watch was held together with a paper clip. And he, you know, was good running time action and he just kept on a ticking. Well, I went down to Walmart's and bought him a watch. I think I gave $40 for it. But, you know, and, and it, was, it wasn't silver, it was, you know, brass and it was, it was a nice watch. And I, I just gave it to him. Yeah. Oh, Kenneth, he said, 
And he thanked me for it. Well, later I went in there and I noticed he didn't have it on. So I just thought, well, I just walked through the bedroom and there it was on top of the chest of drawers just sitting there. I said, Pop, how come you don't wear your watch? Oh, Kenneth, he said, that's too good for me. He said, I just sat there and look at it. I had a little red pickup. I drove pickups for years. And I had a little red pickup that I took to the farm down there. And this is after we wound up buying uh, quite a bit of that. But he gave us the first four acres in it when we got married and we bought more acres and this is how we got the more acreage. I said, he said, I like that truck. I said, good, Pop. I said, it's just sitting here when we're gone. And I'll just leave it at your house and you can drive it and all. But I like that truck. I said, well, let me give it to you. No, but I like that truck. I said, well, let's make a trade. What kind of trade? I said, um, why don't I just trade you that truck for a couple of acres? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I found out what it was worth and paid him more than it's worth. That is, that is all right. And so, and, and so, and I said, is that okay? He said, that'll be all right. Just tell Gloria to bring the title when she comes back. <laughs> Amen. I couldn't give him anything. He'd give me anything. And that's not right. You have to have a receiver. Anybody open? Be blessed. Be blessed. Be blessed. Now this bunch didn't receive it. Let's start over again. Be blessed. Be blessed. Ah, that's better. Be blessed. Be blessed. Be blessed. Be healed. Be well. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his mind. Take the ball and run with it. Kenneth E. Hagen. Boys, it's the scripture you get excited about that works for you. I'm excited about faith. I'm excited about prosperity. It is very simple. The curse is threefold. Spiritual death, sickness, and disease. The blessing is threefold. Spiritual life, healing. No, wait a minute. I got it wrong. I got it wrong. Spiritual death, sickness and disease, and poverty. And the blessing is spiritual life, healing, and prosperity. Years ago, 
the blessing went widescreen. And I realized the blessing over Adam. And he blessed them. The blessing over Noah, he said the same thing. The blessing over Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and Jesus blessed the people. And the last thing he did as he was going out of sight, he blessed them. And when you really see the truth, it was the blessing that raised him up and set him down because the blessing of the Lord is the Lord. And the spirit of the living God is the one that does the blessing. So be blessed tonight. Sleep well. For the God of the universe is alive and well. And his son Jesus is in charge. Not not enough people that they know it, but they don't know it. There is a man and he's not a white man. He's a dark skinned Middle Eastern Jew. He's a bronze colored man. (laughs) Glory to God. A man, a man that has been here. He's been persecuted. He's, he went to hell and back. He has been here. A man, one man born of the spirit while he was in hell itself. One man defeated hell. One man, one born again spirit filled man defeated hell. He defeated death. He defeated, he defeated grief. He defeated Texas. Now, I don't know, some of you city folks may not know what a what Hereford cattle are. You know what they are. That's an English breed. And the only rancher that would have anything to do with it was in Hereford, Texas. The English call it Hereford but they don't know how to pronounce it just because that name comes from England. It's Hereford up in the Panhandle of Texas. I was there preaching three weeks 
and I had all of my outlines out on the bed. And I put this one here and this, and the Lord stopped me. He said, I want you to preach victory in the new birth. I want you to preach victory in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want you to preach the victory in righteousness. I want you to preach victory over death, victory over the grave. I want you to preach victory over, over poverty, victory in, in finances, victory socially, victory. And you call it the believer's voice of victory because every believer has a voice and it ought to be the voice of victory. That goes way, 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 way back. So I just started preaching victory and everything. And then they would come on television, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. I said, yeah, the thrill, the thrill of victory. And I've already been through that agony. I'm not, I'm not going back. go to the hotel with me or I'm going to have to get out. And Nancy, you better take this away from me. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 Yeah. My man, I don't know how to tell you how good you really are on this thing. Thank you, sir. I hear it. Yeah. I hear it in your music. Yeah. And this morning, I'm singing Misty, and I kept hearing this. I kept hearing this sound about something like something other about a Hammond come missing in there with it. <laughs> uh huh. And it worked. Do love songs are in here. They're in here. And I speak to them and I command you to come out. Come up and come out. The body of Christ is crying out. It's crying out. It's crying out for more anthems of the church. Praise songs. Yes, wonderful praise songs. 
but we need a new how great thou art. We need a new group of magnificent anthems of the church. And it's in men and women like this, men and women like that and like that and like that. They're in there, but they have to be pulled out. How many of you are members of this congregation? You're the ones that's going to have to pull it out. Just get in and pray and seek God and pull. <laughs> and pull. They're in there. Glory to God. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Someone in this house has been praying for your mother. Desperately. And I just heard you cry in my spirit. All is well in the household of faith. All is well. There will be some twists and some turns, not understandable in the present, but will be known shortly. There are those in 2022 that will have lived their life out and go to glory. Some of them unexpectedly. But when it happens, you will know and understand. And there will be times during this year, real puzzling things will happen because there's change in the spiritual wind. Things are changing more rapidly today than they ever have been before. The time has come. The end of time as we know it is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. And the master's touch is stronger and more sweet than ever before. Call on him. Bless him. Spend more time ministering to him. You minister these songs to him, he'll, he'll give them to you. Because they're in there, brother. Yes, sir. They're in there. Hallelujah. What a precious atmosphere. It's time like this, Nancy, that we used to experience in the camp meetings, seminars, and it'd just be a hush come over the people. Times I was in two of the last tent meetings Oil Roberts had. I had the, the honor and the privilege of, of being there at his side, seeing miracles that I have not seen the like of since. We were in a meeting there once and Bob DeWeese came to me and he said, Kenneth, we're never going to get all these people prayed for. He said, I'm going to set you up prayer line, boy. I said, all right. Walked up there and my mother and dad had come to the meeting and my mother was standing right behind me 
And she just put her hands in my back. She just pray in the spirit while I was standing there. And there was a woman came up there and she had her hands like this and she had a, this growth that came out of her hairline down all the way over her eye. She couldn't see out of that eye and it looked like an eggplant. And I found out later that that's what a malignant tumor looked like. I knew it in my spirit. And when I saw it, I got angry, which is just the compassion of the Lord. I said, in the name of Jesus, and it just disappeared. And it kind of sucked the air out of the room. My mother said, where'd that go? I said, I don't know. <laughs> and she was standing there like this. She did this and there was a garter on her neck. I said, and no, no, no. She said, I'm saving that for Brother Roberts. <laughs> Well, bless her heart. I mean, she didn't know any better. I told Brother Roberts that, and he was, he was very sad. He said, well, you know, I guess the Lord just looks out after me. Get me something to pray for. The other one, first time I was in the invalid room, they came to me, Colin Steele did. He was, a, he was a, the manager when we were on the road. He said, Kenneth, now I want you to go to the invalid room. He said, this is the place where they take people that are just can't manage a large crowd. They're, they're just, they're too sick. And, you know, people can get to a place where they won't be around anybody. And he said, um, you listen and you outline the messages. All of a sudden I was glad that I paid attention in English class and English was my favorite subject. You can't tell it now, but it was. <laughs> anyway, and so I outlined the messages. And then he said, now, then you go over the main points of that message and prepare the people to have hands laid on them because he's going to give the invitation. He's going to lead people to the Lord. He's going to turn them then over to Bob DeWeese and he's going to take some of them to the prayer tent for salvation instruction. And so I was waiting on him. He would stop right after, he said five to seven minutes. Then I found out they had a little small table with all of his partner's names on microfiche. And he would stop. They had a little black curtain in it, and he'd lay hands on that microfish and pray for his partners. So I have all of my partners on a UBS stick. <laughs> Amen. That's a lot easier to carry than that microfish. But he'd pray for them under the anointing, come in there. So he walked in there and he looked around. And he caught me by the lapel of my coat and he pulled me up to me. He said, Now, now this is just a war, Roberts. He said, success without a successor is a failure. He would teach the students, anybody. He said, now you're going to be the, you're going to do the praying and you're going to lay on hands. I could feel it. 
I'm probably changing color because <laughs> I just feel it just running. He, and he laughed. He said, don't worry about it. He said, if you make a mistake, I'll fix it. But don't touch them till you're ready to release your faith. I've been studying the power and the authority of the name of Jesus. And I thought, and he preached on the point of contact. The name of Jesus is my point of contact in the name of Jesus. So the first one we walked up to was a woman on an old military army cot with a nurse standing there. You couldn't tell how old she was. You could tell she's on up in years, but she's just skin and bones. And her little stomach all pooched out there like that. She had cancer of the stomach. When I, at the moment, I didn't know it. We walked up there and I said, in the name of Jesus, and that's far as I got, the anointing of God came on him. And I thought the line of the tribe of Judah has just roared. You foul, unclean spirit, in the name of Jesus, whose I am and whom I serve, take your hands off of God's property now. And she, and she spit that tumor out on the ground. And that thing just sat there pumping like that. It was still alive. I thought that thing looked just like a jellyfish. She jumped up off that cot, screamed, I'm healed, and started running around that tent. And the nurse right after her, thinking she's going to die any minute. <laughs> but she didn't. It's back. It's back. <clears throat> he told me, not all that long before he went home, he said, Kenneth, the 10 anointing's coming back. And when it does, it's coming back big time. He said, you watch for it. Well, it's here. I've seen glimpses of it and seen a few things happen. But now you get into meetings like this and that sweetness comes up and it gets so close to heaven. I remember him saying this to me one time. He said, the resurrection is really easy. He said, have you ever seen a jumping bean, a Mexican jumping bean? Those little beans just jump. He said, when inside you gets jumping where you can't stand it, we're out of here. <laughs> And your spirit is like a magnet being drawn towards heaven. Later, Bob DeWeese came to me and we were down there in Tulsa in a meeting and he took me outside. He said, Kenneth, I'm having a hard time staying here. I said, why? He said, I've seen heaven. I want to go back. I want to go back. And he didn't stay much longer. And he was in good health. His heart was completely, totally healed. But he couldn't stay. 
heaven's pulling. I was preaching there at Grace Temple Church, the little church I was telling you about. In a morning service, a man brought his wife in there and he carried her in. I was just morning service, no music or anything. I was just teaching faith. And he just, he just walked up there and, 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 I, and then, then I said, is there something I can do for you? <clears throat> he said, Brother Copeland, he introduced himself. He said, my wife has cancer. Would you lay hands on her, please? And I did. And so he just, he, we finished the service and he carried her out. Well, I didn't hear anything from him for a while. And, and when the, and the church had his name and address, I called him. And I said, tell me what happened. Well, he said, Kenneth, he said, she just started eating. He said, she's gaining weight. And I was taking her breakfast in the bed and she was just, she said, he said, I mean, she was healed and so well. And he said, I took breakfast in there to her one morning and said, she took me around the neck. She said, sweetheart, um, I can't stay here. He said, what are you talking about? She said, when I was in that condition, I saw Jesus and I got a glimpse of heaven and I'm going home. Would you release me? He said, it's one of the hardest things I ever did in my life. But he said, now, Kenneth, he said, I played a little semi-pro ball. I keep myself in good shape. But he said, I'm going to tell you something, brother, when they see Jesus, you ain't got a chance. <laughs> and he said, she just went on home. Then Israel Rodriguez, I don't know, Nancy, I don't know whether you all ever knew him or not. He was a pastor in Puerto Rico, strong in the full gospel businessmen's fellowship he and his wife, Naomi, and uh, good friends of my parents. And he had rectal cancer. And so he told her, he said, I want to go to the city of faith. They checked with the doctor and he said, well, he's liable to die on the way. And he said, I want you to call Kenneth. I want to see him. She said, Israel, I don't know where he is. He's, but he said, well, I'll tell you what, he'll be the first one I see when we get there. Well, I flew my mother and dad up to Tulsa. Mother was having some problems. So she was going through a whole um, physical thing. And, and we were talking to the, you know, the people up there. I said, dad, um, a good friend of mine is the doctor at the ER downstairs. Now I'm going to go down. I'm going to see if she's on duty and, uh, and I'll, I'll, I want to see her. He said, okay. So I went down there and, and we, and I hadn't seen her since the last time I had prayed for patients there in the city of faith. So we're standing there and the bell rang. She said, Kenneth, I have to take this. There's an ambulance coming in. So I just stood back out of the way. 
They opened the back door of the ambulance and it was Israel Rodriguez painted that face that way. He said, Naomi, see, I told you Kenneth would be the first one I see when I got here. <laughs> now God arranged that. So we were staying all night at the hotel there across the street from the university. Well, there was a, it's Wednesday night. So we had a meeting in, in, uh, uh, Billy Joe's church and we're just praising God and sat down there and I started getting sick. I said, God, what is this? I sat down on the seat there and, and he came up on the inside of me, cancer. I said, no, I don't have cancer. He said, go over and pray for Israel. So I went across and uh, got his room number and went up to see him. He said, now you you take a text and you preach healing. You preach a whole sermon to him. Then when you get through preaching, then you slide back up under that, that gurney is real tall thing. He said, you slide back up under there and you pray in tongues till I tell you to quit. So I preached for about 45 minutes on healing, took healing scriptures. And he's just lying there. And I leaned over there and kissed him on the forehead and slid back up underneath there and just started praying in tongues. Well, then a couple of nurses and a doctor heard me. And so they came in, they just started praying in tongues. All the doctors, all the nurses, all filled with spirit. Easiest place to pray for the sick I've ever been in my life. Just pray and I got a release. So I got up and went on back to the hotel but I didn't hear anything. So a couple of weeks later, I called. I said, Naomi, what happened? She said, well, let me tell you. She said, we rented an apartment over here. And she said the next morning when they examined him, he said, she said his, that whole part of his body was just like baby skin. It was all brand new. All the cancer's gone. All of it just perfect. She said it was marvelous. And he's just eating and eating and eating and getting stronger. She said, Kenneth, he called me in there and he said, I want to go home. No, she said, you don't need to go home at, you know, go back to, to Puerto Rico. No, no, no. He said, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about going home. I'm, I'm going home. I want you to release me. She said, I'm not going to do it. You're healed. You're well. I know it. But I've been to heaven. She said, you've got a church to pastor. I said, our boys have pastored that church already and they're doing a better job than I am. She said, Kenneth, I, I said, well, yeah, I'll pray. She said, I just knew God was going to say, well, no, I mean, he, she said, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray according to my husband's request. Do you want me to release him? He said, yeah, release him. Let him come on home. She says, hardest thing I've ever done in my life. He's well, but she said, he just leaned back in that, that big fine chair and just left. 
we're back to that place again. 2022, there's going to be a lot of people. Remember the song? Whole lot of people going home. I think David wrote that for this time. We're going to see it in 2022. A lot of people just live out their lives and go. Some of them are tired and don't want to stay. They're just going to take what the, what the Jewish people call the kiss of death. This old term, God took them. That's a bad term. It's not right. There's a lot of people that have just slipped out because they didn't know how to do anything else. But he receives them. He didn't take them. Now there's certain instances like Gloria's little brother. One night he was asleep in the truck. The young man was driving. I know the curve was just right close to our place there in Arkansas. And it's, it's an adverse curve. Instead of leaning this way, you come around that, it leans like this. And if you're going too fast, you're, and this is what happened to him, and the truck just left and burned. Stanley was in it. Not long after that, Gloria went to a woman's conference. Now, let me tell you something about Stanley Neese. He's a journeyman rock mason just much of a man. You could not get him to wear sleeves in his shirts. I bought him a brand new dress shirt to go to this deal. He cut the sleeves out of it and put the jacket on over it. They, you know, they cut into him. She, this woman spent time in heaven and she was she was talking about all of her time in heaven. Oh, and you ought to hear some of these things. I wish I had time to tell you more about it. But anyway, she said, after the great meeting we had in the great hall, she said, we went into this dining room thing and she said it was absolutely huge. She said, what we don't understand is the next big event is the resurrection. And they're continually preparing for it. And there was a group of people in there waiting tables. And this young man walked over to me and said, would you tell Gloria I was not in that truck when it burned? And she said, Gloria, there's one thing I noticed about him. He didn't have any sleeves in the garment he was wearing. <laughs> it was Stanley. Well, see, he was asleep. And God just, he didn't take him. He just received him. He didn't know anything about that truck burning. That's where we are. And we're going to hear story after story after story after story throughout this year. This is going to be happening. There's some people that are not going to understand it and they're going to, they're going to rely on us. 
They're going to want to grieve and cry, God took my baby. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. There's a man brought his wife into the prayer line and he was holding her up. She was just grief stricken. And I started to lay hands on her and the Lord stopped me. And I just looked inward. He said, you tell her she got beat at the game of life. Oh Lord, I didn't want to say that. God took my baby. He took my baby. Why did he take my baby? She was about nine years old. And I said, ma'am, God didn't take your baby. You got beat at the game of life. And I said, you're, you're not a wife to your husband. You're not a mother to your other children. She lunged at me and her husband grabbed her before she just scratched my eyes out. And, and they left. They came back that night and they came in the front door of the church and they came in there. She was all smiles. She walked over there to me. She said, Brother Copeland, thank you. She said, you shocked me out of that grief. You're right. I got beat at the game of life, but it'll never happen again. And I preached on, if you don't have the word in you, it's not going to come out. So then her husband called me later. They became partners of the ministry. He said, Kenneth, my son and I were up in the mountains hiking. He said, a different situation now. He said, we got in the word and he said, we're full of faith. And he said, my, my son just hit the ground with a seizure. And I said, no, bless God, Satan, you're not doing this to my boy. And he said, I just grabbed him by the hair and took authority over this thing and started praying in the tongues. And all of a sudden he just came out of it. And he said, daddy, what happened? He said, nothing, get up from there. <laughs> and that was the only time it ever happened. And it was over. <clears throat> but somebody had to know the truth. And we've been blessed to know. Well, I'm going to have to leave sometime. <laughs> Good night, everybody. We trust you've enjoyed this message. Visit us at DufresneMinistries.org to learn of our upcoming meetings, share your testimony, become a partner, or visit our online store. This program has been made possible by the friends and partners of Dufresne Ministries.